We're rolling. Welcome to the House Dudes Podcast, where we invite you to follow us on our journey towards financial freedom using the power of real estate. I'm Jack Haas. And I'm Josh Koth. Here at House Dudes, we believe in a couple key principles. Number one, the best way to retain information is by teaching it to others. And number two, a rising tide lifts all boats. We're not competitors, we're a community. So let's get into some real estate investing. This episode is brought to you by Yellow Letter HQ. Head over to bit.ly slash yellow letter HD for fast, affordable, direct to seller marketing. Tired of real estate marketing campaigns that don't get results? Yellow Letter HQ is one of the most competitive direct mail campaigns that can save your budget and your sanity. They deliver a fast campaign turnaround that gets your phone ringing. Check out their services at bit.ly slash yellow letter HD. We have Chris Benson on the line. Thanks for joining us this week, uh, Chris. But before we start things off, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me, Jack. Uh, My name is Chris Benson. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Reliant Real Estate Management. We're a vertically integrated self-storage operator in uh, Roswell, Georgia. So we're just north of Atlanta. Uh, We focus on commercial self-storage properties we're buying and managing across the southeastern United States, mostly in secondary and tertiary markets. And uh, really, my role in the organization is um, on the investment committee, we're we're helping to uh, develop a strategy around what types of properties we're trying to acquire. And then I also manage the uh, the equity arm of our business. So working with equity investors um, to uh, to raise the equity requirements on our properties that we're purchasing. Sure. You know, with let's let's start right in with the the self storage because uh, you know with everything that's going on right now, the market is, uh, is a little up in the air, uh, especially, you know, a lot of our listeners are likely doing real estate investing for the first time, looking at those single family homes. Um, talk about how uh, storage units, how they, how they would differ when it comes to that investment strategy. Are you asking how they differ from a single-family home? Standpoint? Yeah, so so they have a point of view or perspective. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, the, the big difference with self-storage is it's it's a real estate play as well as an operational business. So, you know, we have 150 employees and the majority of them are out running the sites. So mm-hmm. the operations behind the facility are what really are able to drive the performance of your asset. And so you know, think about having that internal operational business um, aside from the real estate play, which is, you know, just like any typical real estate investment where you're trying to um, get into an asset and, you know, extensively grow NOI and create additional value in the property. So I think that's the big difference. You know, you hear a lot of people say, I want to get into self-storage because there's no toilets or electricity and, Mm. you know, buy it and leave it. And, and that certainly is not the case. Uh, I think the operational prowess of the management team um, who's running the facility is ultimately going to be um, the determining factor on if it's a successful project or not. Right. You know, when, when I got uh, some uh, information from uh, one of your team members uh, before this interview, they, your, uh, the documentation even says that uh, storage um, units are recession resistant. Uh, what does that mean? Well, I mean, I, I would say that, 
you got to look back at the data to see how storage has performed in, in previous economic downturns. Um, in 2007, 8, 9, storage did very well. And I, I think the reason behind that is, you know, the demand for self-storage is driven from change. Mm-hmm. We talk about the four Ds of self-storage demand, right? So um, those are divorce, dislocation, death, and downsizing. Um, and, you know, typically in an economic um, correction, you're going to have a little bit of all of those. You know, certainly with, you know, as we record this, it's it's middle of July and COVID-19 is, is running rampant. I mean, I think from our perspective, um, storage has fared very well thus far because, you know, essentially, if people do need to downsize of those types of things, they're still utilizing storage to do it. So, the demand we found is pretty inelastic across the country, obviously not just our portfolio. Um, we have 45 properties across eight states, so we're rather small in the pantheon of operators. Um, but, you know, uh, even at the national level, the REITs are experiencing the real estate investment trusts, you know, those publicly traded companies that have really large portfolios across the nation are experiencing similar um, similar things that we're seeing. Sure. With storage units, do you typically see the similar tax deferments and tax benefits uh, like you would with a with a single pam- family home or an apartment building? Um, are, you, are you referencing depreciation? Depreciation and yeah, let's start there. Yeah, certainly. It's treated just like any of the other real estate asset class. You can do a cost segregation study to you know bring that. Um, depreciation to the front end of your ownership curve. You know, the thing to keep in mind, though, obviously, is there's less things in storage to depreciate than there is in a a multifamily home, right? In multifamily, you have plumbing, electricity, and fixtures and doors and each one of those units. And, you know, in self-storage, it's a a cement pad and a box, you know, Mm -hmm. metalized metal box. So um, a little bit less to depreciate, so you don't have those huge Huge losses um, up front, but, but certainly um, it's treated just like any other asset class for the purpose of the IRS. Sure. How about when you uh, are looking for a, like an acquisition target? Like how do you, what do you do? What are the r- numbers that you run to determine like location and uh, what's a, what would be a good and adequate return? Like how do you, how do you determine what to, what to find and what to, what to purchase? Sure. I, I mean, I think um, on, on the acquisition side, it's a pretty in-depth process um, as far as how we underwrite deals. Um, but what's interesting about self-storage is it's very market-specific. Mm-hmm. So you have to really think about the one, three, and five-mile radius uh, around the facility. That's all that matters. Um, the MSA-level data, uh, metropolitan statistical area, that, that doesn't matter. Uh, think about it this way. If if the storage facility is not on the way to work or home, people probably aren't going to use it, right? So you really have to be, you know, we found in, um, in stores, typically 70% of your tenants are coming within a three mile radius. So you really have to understand that particular market. Um, and it's looking at the same demographics, Jack, that you would in any asset class. So, you know, traffic count, um, population, population growth, job growth, income statistics, um, in storage, we look very heavily at the supplied and demand um, and the competitive market set to understand, you know, where the uh, the market is and where we think it may be undersupplied or oversupplied. So um, mm-hmm. 
we're, we're looking at all of those things to try to tell a story around the market that we're in. But, you know, the things that you look at in a single family rental home, you know, good school district, not necessarily relevant for us, but, you know, you want to be in a good neighborhood, good job growth, good population growth. We're looking at those same demographic trends. Sure. So that's really interesting, especially regarding the, the mile radius and, and, uh, what you're looking for. Do you build any of these storage units yourself or is it mostly just acquisition? Um, both. We, we have done ground up development where we're buying a piece of dirt and entitling it and, you know, building out. Um, but then um, majority of what we've done um, and our sweet spot really is in the value add play where we're buying a, a, a facility and then doing some sort of forced appreciation model on it and you know, sometimes that's, you know, building some expansion. So another building in the back and, you know, we're, we're uh, going to add 15,000 square feet of climate controlled units to it. Um, but ultimately the goal is growing net operating income. And ultimately that's going to push the value of the property up. And so um, our value add strategies are, are different for every property. It's wherever we think we can maximize um, the NOI of the property. So when you say that, that's another interesting point. So you're trying to do forced appreciation on some of these units. Uh, you mentioned climate control and maybe adding additional buildings. Um, is there anything else you might be looking for that could cause that forced appreciation? Sure. Um, what's interesting with storage as well is there's it's a very fragmented ownership group. So there's still a lot of you know what we would call mom and pop operators. So people who have one or two facilities. And, and many times they're not taking advantage of some of the ancillary income items you can create at self-storage. Um, you know, things like U-Haul truck rentals, tenant insurance programs, you know, you know, retail sales where you're selling locks and box and moving supplies. You know, many times that can be 10 to 15% of our revenues um, in our pro formas are coming from those items. And sometimes when you're buying a facility that is undermanaged, they may not be taking advantage of, of those revenue streams. So um, that's another way that you can create value in the property and drive NOI just through, uh, you know, a more professional management strategy. Are there a certain amount of uh, units you're looking for? You, want, you would typically not acquire something under 10 units, but you would look at 100 or something. What, what is your buying strategy there? Bigger numbers, but yeah, um, for us, it's square footage. Typically, you know, uh, we're, we're the, the size of our management platform. It's probably got to be a 50,000 square foot facility or larger, or if it's a smaller facility, let's say 20, 30,000, it's got to have a pretty substantial expansion opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a fairly large management platform and, and there's overhead costs to that. And those costs get assigned to the property. So it's got to be big enough to support the property management fees um, that run, you know, Reliant and, and all of the uh, the underlying um, contributors behind it. Sure. Well, you know, backtracking a little bit, you know, based on just some of the answers you've said so far, it sounds like you rely pretty heavily on on a pretty on a substantial team here. What what does it look like when you're you're managing these these units? I. I I don't know. I, I guess, I, you know, I've never owned these units myself. Do you do showings and, and other things? Or is that just kind of, uh, do you leave one unit unlocked and let people show it themselves? I guess I don't, what, how does all that and the management of it look? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we do have a pretty substantial team and that's kind of what makes it go round, you know, on the operation side. 
Um, typically at every site, there's, there's two people. So a manager, site manager, and assistant manager, um, and they're running their own little franchise, right? I mean, that's the best way to think about it. And so absolutely pre-COVID, um, you know, a, a, a facility tour was a, a big part of what we were doing. Um, Post-COVID, we've really relied on our touchless leasing. You know, essentially, you, Jack, can go on our website and, you know, uh, sign a lease and uh, essentially have your keys delivered to your unit so you don't have to come in the office and talk to us. Um, and that's, as you can imagine, a, been a huge, um, the utilization rate on that has been much higher uh, over the last 90 days than it was, you know, previous to that. So, um, yeah, our guys are and gals are taught to be salespeople, you know, and trying to understand what the customer's need are, needs are and, and then be able to deliver that with the, with the product that we have available. So with that being said, do you, do you pretty much have most of your properties in your backyard? Or are you all over the country? Um, as I had mentioned before, Southeastern United States is our focus. Um, primarily, uh, you know, our portfolio is in Florida, Georgia, and the Carolinas. Uh, we have a small portfolio in Tennessee um, and uh, Arkansas, Alabama as well. So, you know, how we look at it, because we're operating it, you know, if, we, if we're going to a new state, we have to come in with a little bit of scale. Um, otherwise, it doesn't really make sense from us, a management efficiency standpoint. Like, you know, if we bought one property in Indiana, that'd be really challenging for us to manage operationally because our mm. we have a management an operational management team who's managing all the guys and gals at the site level. And it'd be hard to have somebody stuck all by themselves out in the middle of nowhere. Right. So you, you basically said you, your team members, especially on site are kind of running their own franchise. Is that kind of a, a different way of, of having these people on your team or is that, are they actually full on employees? Yeah, I'm using that as an analogy. We're not we're not selling them franchises, but yeah, they are employees of Reliant, um, yeah, Reliant Real Estate Management, and so um, that's that's how they're essentially uh, compensated. And you know, we're we're trying to teach them, you know, to run and manage a PL, a profit and loss statement, just like they would if it, if it was their own business. Sure. So you know, in the end, like I, I know this is a pretty basic question, but you know, every time I talk to somebody who's doing self storage, it always sounds really appealing, but, um, but mostly for those reasons you, you mentioned earlier, because you don't have a toilet that's backing up. You don't have some of the tenant issues that a person can have, or there's some additional benefits that I, that are just not on my radar. Um, I mean, those, those things are true. Um, but you certainly, you know, anytime you have, you know, if you have a facility with a thousand units, that's a thousand customers that something can go wrong. You know, they drive through the gate and destroy the gate or they have, you know, insects in their unit or, you know, somebody broke into their unit. So, I mean, there's always people problems that go along with it. So it's by no means a passive, um, a passive investment. I guess, you know, the interesting part, Jack, with storage is it's a 30 day lease. So you have a lot of turnover, probably 30% of your tenant base turns over monthly. So there's a constant churn of, of tenant base. And so, you know, you, you just have to be prepared for that. And the, um, the uh, operating aspect of it is a, is a bigger deal. You may not be fixing toilets, but 
there's certainly plenty of things to uh, to keep you uh, keep you busy. Sure. What do you, what do you do then to to continue since the churn is so high? What do you what are you doing to constantly attract those new tenants? Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is is the location in which you are, right? So you want a high traffic count, so your your people are going by every day. Um, we have a pretty big digital marketing platform, so you know, Jack, when I need something, the first thing I'm usually doing is googling it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to be uh, available uh, on that first page of Google, rank well, and then also um, have good reviews uh, so that you know people will click through to the website. Um, and then, you know, we, we also have to be really aggressive with pricing and understand what's happening in the competitive market because, you know, prices can change daily. And because it's only a 30 day lease, you know, you're, you're locking tenants in for a very short period of time. So it's a, it's a very dynamic process to, to ensure that you're still a, uh, an attractive offering in the market when people are out looking for storage. Is a 30 day lease a standard thing in, in storage across the country or is that kind of area specific? No, that's pretty, pretty standard. Sure. So outside of the, the marketing then, and you know, people driving by, are there other things that, that people or residents are looking for in storage units? You already mentioned climate controlled. Um, now you're, you're getting my mind spinning a little bit because, you know, I wouldn't have thought of insects, you know, you probably have to have some a pest guy on call. Like, what what other things are costs associated with owning storage units do people maybe uh, lose or miss on their radar? Yeah, I mean, on the on the expense line, on your you have the typical stuff, right? Property taxes, insurance, utilities, phone, etc. Pest, landscaping. Um, you know, number of expense items. I don't know if there's anything on there that would be super surprising. Um, mm-hmm issues, uh, but but that's going to happen in apartments or housing too. I don't know if there's anything on the PL that that would surprise you. Um, I think back to your question around you know, how do you how do you ensure tenants are coming through? It's it's those things you describe, but then also um, at our team we do a lot of grassroots marketing. At least pre-COVID, we did where you know we're trying to be a, a staple in the community as well. Know who all the movers are, right? Set up mm-hmm. programs with those those people and. Um, you know, just get an understanding of how um, <clears throat> how we can be a good community member and in the chamber. And usually, when you create that awareness in the marketplace, that that helps bring you some business as well. Sure. So you know, we we were chatting earlier about um, attracting these tenants, and you, you're having them in 30 days. You know, it, it comes to it comes to the question, I. You, a popular TV show is that storage wars. Sure. So when you're dealing with people who just stop paying their rent and now you've seized all of that stuff is how, how realistic is, is the storage wars and how, how you dispose of, of these contents or does it happen? Is it pretty common and is it kind of a hassle? How does, how does that all work? Yeah, what storage wars depicts happens, right? Those are storage unit auctions and they happen every month. Um, and there's companies that run around and, and manage those storage auctions for you. Um, it, they are a huge hassle for us. We don't make any money on them. Um, we can charge basically our, if, if we sell, if they sell a unit, we, we can get our late rent plus fees and that's it. Um, and then the remaining dollars have to go ostensibly to the tenant. If, if they can track down the tenant, that's where the monies go to. And each state law is a little bit different. 
Um, I mean, Swords Wars romanticizes a little bit and the characters there obviously aren't in every community, but that's exactly how it works. You don't pay your rent. Ostensibly, your rent is collateralized with your stuff. So mm-hmm. if you don't pay your rent, we're going to sell your stuff and then hopefully we can... Our, our bad debt is is very low comparatively to other asset classes because, um, you know, if if you rent an apartment and then you just leave, skip town and don't pay your rent, it's really challenging to chase money for you. But if you skip town, don't pay your rent with us, we're going to auction your unit. And theoretically, there's enough stuff in there that's going to get us paid something of the, the monies that we had lost. So yeah, kind of a unique structure versus some other asset classes. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just kind of wondering if that happened quite a bit because most of the time people are putting secondary items in a storage unit. You know, they're not they're not touching it every day and it's it's almost one step away from being donated or, you know, it's easier to skip town on some on those type of material items, I would think. Um, you'd be surprised. I can't tell you how many times I've been into a unit and the value of the unit is worth less than one month's rent, but they've been paying for years and will continue to pay for years. It's hard for Americans to get rid of things. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So let's talk a little bit about your current uh, investment uh, opportunities. You you said you were currently in the middle of raising some capital uh, for your next round of acquisitions, right? Yeah, so Jack, we, we, we typically raise capital with accredited investors um, who are looking for passive income um, opportunities with, with a, a real estate operator. Um, we're in the midst of raising a $50 million equity fund. Um, so I think like a mutual fund of self-storage properties. So uh, the last one we did, we raised $47 million and had 11 properties in it. So mm-hmm. performance for you as an investor is delivered. Um, through the the performance of those individual eleven properties, so you know helps diversify the risk across multiple properties and in multiple markets. And um, we just launched our second uh, Reliant Self Storage Fund two at the end of May, and in the midst of raising capital for that, we hope to close on our first property uh, middle of August. And um, you know all of our deals are pretty much the same, kind of that five to seven year hold period. Um, in this particular one, the projected return somewhere in that 12 to 15% a year range. So, you know, for investors who, um, you got to make the decision if you want to be a direct investor or passive, you know, for many of our investors, they have, um, very busy and demanding, um, day jobs, but they'd like the access to, uh, you know, some alternative investments, um, or non-correlated assets, uh, versus the stock market. So real estate plays that role for them. Sure. Well, you know, I I don't want to take like I said, I don't want to take up a ton of your time, but you really gave us some uh, some eye-opening information here that I kind of wanted to revisit and and summarize. Uh, most people uh, are looking at storage units because of your four Ds, and it's all driven by change, divorce, dislocation, death, and downsizing. Um, and I, I think that's important to keep in mind, especially when we're looking at storage units. Um, Keep in mind that one, three, and five-mile radius on the way, and particularly on a way to work and home, um, people typically aren't going to drive out of their way to get to a storage unit, so keep that in mind, Uh, which also led me to a question. You know, I live in uh, a lakes region, so uh, I've started to see more and more storage units like small mom-and-pop ones popping up along the 
the road to the lake. So I suppose they're big enough to hold boats and, and, and the like. So I thought that's been an interesting strategy lately around here. Um, and then uh, you along like everybody else, you're also looking for forced appreciation, which actually is something that I, I wouldn't have thought of, especially regarding, like you said, they're basically renting a box, but uh, you're looking to maybe add climate control, additional buildings, tenant insurance, the retail sales, and, um, and 10 to 15% of your income is driven by those residual sales, which is also surprising. Are there any other ones that you think that we should re bring up here to, to remind people? I mean, that that's pretty attractive. Um, and uh, especially right now I'm dealing with a lot of rehabbing and uh, the more I'm doing this, the more I wish I had storage units. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think that's a pretty good overview. I mean, it, it's an interesting asset class. I think the biggest thing is, you know, just understanding what you're getting involved with, that it's it's an operational business as well as the real estate play. And so that's just got to, you know, make sense for you as an investor that uh, that's what you want to do. And, um, but, you know, we're, we're not, um, we don't see that the consumer demands or the consumer behaviors changing in the short term where um, self-storage may become less relevant, at least uh, in the short term. So um, we think it's a pretty good asset class to be a part of. Yeah. And uh, it was really interesting to hear about the 30-day lease, and the amount of turnover you're dealing with. And uh, when you say it's an operational business, uh, boy, is it. I mean, you're having, you have 150 employees right now managing your, your storage units. I mean, that's a, that's a sizable group of people to, to keep that operation running. Yeah, sure is. So if people wanted more information and particularly around your investment opportunity, how do they reach out and find you? Yeah, Jack. So a website's probably best. Um, it's reliantinvestments.com. Um, Reliant uh, Investments, plural, um, .com has information on the, the firm and more information on our track record, et cetera. I think that's probably a good place to start. And then um, I'm also on LinkedIn, fairly active. We post a lot of information on there. Uh, it's Chris Benson, Chris with a K. People can certainly reach out to me there and be happy to answer any questions people have. Well, and I'm going to make sure to include all of those links in the show notes um, and uh, uh, in including your LinkedIn information. So uh, ex expect uh, people to reach out that way. Um, but I thank you so much and, and bearing with me as I answer, you answer all of my crazy questions here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jack. Thank you. Hey, we're always looking for new ways to add some additional value to our residents while adding some additional income. Well, here's your chance. Take a look at a new app in the iOS and Android app stores called Express Mask Delivery. This is a way to add some additional value to your residents while increasing your revenue. Again, it's Express Mask Delivery. Make sure you use the offer code JACK to unlock some additional benefits. Again, Express Mask Delivery. Use the offer code JACK. We've put a lot of effort into providing useful content, and if you've found value in the show and have any interest in supporting us with a small donation, head over to patreon.com slash housedudes. And if you have any thoughts or questions, shoot us an email at info at housedudes.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at housedudes.
And if you like what you're hearing, head over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It really helps other investors out there find the show. And remember, massive positive impact requires massive positive action. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by HouseDudes.com. Do you have time to actively manage flipping and rentals yourself? If so, go for it. If you live in a market that won't cash flow or don't have the time to do all the work, are you just out of luck? If there was a way to participate more passively, would that appeal to you? I'm sure you have questions about how the process works and what to do next. If that's the case, fill out the form on housedudes.com investors, and we'll reach out to see if you are a good fit for our business. This is first come first serve, and we will have to stop taking applications when our goals are met. See you at housedudes.com investors. Tell a man what to do with his money, but if you ain't investing in property, then you're dumber than a dummy. I'm not dumb. I'm smart. Well, buy property. That's my advice. <laughs>